this section is entitled Lies, Instigation, and Separation. Lies, Instigation, and Separation. I have 11 points here, and I will do them very briefly. Um, and in the points, I will make the, the point, the assertion, and then go to two or three scriptures on that point. Now, the first point on lies. Like Democrats and other wicked politicians, they refuse to talk openly and honestly, and yet criticize us for doing so. They love the darkness of night and secret meetings. Romans 11, uh, sorry, Romans 13. Romans 13, verse 11. 13, 11 to 14. And this do, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Yes, they, he even includes strife and jealousy, which takes place in these secret meetings before they launch their attacks. Galatians 2, Galatians 2, verse 4. Galatians 2, 4. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in, who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. For these false brethren to secretly be brought in, the false brethren need to consult each other secretly, and then they need to be brought in secretly, so they are conspiring in secret to do so. And 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. Verses 1 to 11. Now, as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying, peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like birth pangs upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you like a thief, for you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober, for those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. Because they are sons of darkness, they do their dirty deeds in the dark in secret meetings. Point number two, as ravenous wolves in sheep's clothing, they approach with magnanimity 
when actually they are full of evil suspicion. They are full of evil suspicion. They approach us as though, why have all the sincere intentions, every sincere, loving, gracious intention in the world to talk to you, but actually they're not that way. They have evil suspicions of us. Exodus 14, Exodus 14, 10 to 12. Exodus 14, 10. And as Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, it, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. The evil suspicion that the sons of Israel have against Moses is that he wanted them to die a miserable death in the wilderness. Moses wanted them to die in the wilderness? Where did they get that? It's evil suspicion. It just came out of nowhere. Chapter 16. Chapter 16. Verse 3. They are grumbling about food. 16.3. And the sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out to, into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They're blaming him again. You want to kill us by hunger. Before, in chapter 14, is killing us by the uh, army of Pharaoh chasing after them. And now here, it is killing them by making them starve to death. Moses wanted the people to starve to death? No. But that's evil suspicion. 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, 3 to 5. 1 Timothy 6, 3 says, If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. The different doctrine is contrary to the sound words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that doctrine is one that conforms to godliness. Godliness excludes conceit, false understanding, morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth. And what are these men about who preach a different doctrine, a different gospel, a false gospel? They are about gain. They want to use Christianity, they want to use the Bible, they want to use religion for their own personal gain. Whether it's fun, whether it's fame, or whether it's fortune, or all of the above. That's what they're doing. Because they have no convictions of faith to speak the truth 
In fact, they're constantly disputing people. They're picking fights. They are disputers and contentious people. Number three, when they do not get their sinful way, they then demonize us as false teachers, liars, and cultists without evidence and without any calm and collected study of Scripture with us. May I say that again? When they do not get their sinful way, then they demonize us and call us false teachers, liars, cultists, and without evidence. Yeah, they will purport evidence, but if you look at the evidence that they purport, it's not evidence. It is bits and pieces of rotten, filthy information that they have taken out of context to demonize us. We would be happy to give you the full conversation, the full text exchange, the full email exchange, not bits and pieces to demonize. We would be happy to do that, and we have done so. Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, verses 8 to 15. They did this to Stephen. Acts chapter 6, verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, excluding, or including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. And yet they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they, heard, and they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. And they put forward false witnesses who said, This man incessantly speaks against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel." They argue, they secretly induce men, they stir up the people, they put forward false witnesses. And what is it? Do you think Stephen, the disciple of the apostles, would do such a thing? We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Do you think Stephen was really doing that? But they're stirring up the people, accusing Stephen of that. They're demonizing Stephen. They're also saying, 13, this man incessantly speaks against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. There's all kinds of perversion in that assertion, accusation. They do that. They do it because they have nothing else to do. Luke 24. Luke 24. 16, Luke 24, 16 to 19. I'm sorry, when I say Luke, sorry. Acts chapter 24, Acts chapter 24, 16 to 19. 24, 16 of the book of Acts. In view of this, I also do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience both before God and before men. Now after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to bring offerings, in which they found me occupied in the temple 
having been purified without any crowd or uproar, but there were certain Jews from Asia who ought to have been present before you and to make accusation if they should have anything against me. What's the apostle's approach? He is always living a blameless conscience, maintaining a blameless conscience before God and men. If you have an accusation, then why is it that you don't come forward with the actual witnesses and we sit here and talk about what actually happened, what actually was said, what the Bible has to say about the matter? Why don't you do it that way? Why is it that it's just in bits and pieces of rotten, filthy information? Why is it always that way? Because they can get their way that way. Those who want to always live a blameless life with a blameless conscience before God and men, they'll say, come, let's everybody talk. Let's present all the evidence on the table. And let's handle it systematically, point by point. But not them. Because they are the actual false teachers, liars, and cultists. Number four, point number four. They never have two or three witnesses to present evidence, especially against elders. They never have two or three witnesses to present evidence. They do this one by one, secretly, erratically, in an ambush. This is what they do. They don't do it in the proper way. Proverbs 18:17 says, The first to present his case seems just until another comes and examines him. Where is the other? They never give an opportunity for the other to examine the statement of the first. 2 Corinthians 13.1, this is the third time I am coming to you. Every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 19. 1 Timothy 5.19. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Don't receive an accusation except on the basis of two or three witnesses. But they don't do it that way. They don't at all because they don't have the evidence. They don't have the correct information. And if they were confronted with it, they would have to be silenced humiliated, and then they have to repent, and they refuse to repent. So they don't do it that way. That's what criminals do in the world, right? That's the way the criminals and, and uh, corrupt lawyers, corrupt politicians, that's the way they do it. They don't have proper evidence by witnesses. Point number five. Number five, their decision to leave the church is without seeking our advice. They leave, they choose to leave without seeking our advice, which shows they know already what we think, yeah. which relates to the earlier point, why don't they ever bring Scripture? They know what we think about that. They should be bringing Scripture to the subject, but they don't. Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, verses three, uh, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. This week, 
Joab, Nabal St. James, he texted us after he knew we were having this conference and he saw the title of it. He texted us with common characteristics of conflict. He had eight points. Eight points of common characteristics. And for each point, he's slamming us. And guess how many scriptures he used? Zero. Zero. Zilch. Nothing. No scripture whatsoever. And what's he doing? He is leaning on his own understanding, which is perverse, corrupt, satanic, and he will go to hell unless he repents. Proverbs 11, Proverbs 11, 14. When there is no guidance, the people fall, but in abundance of counselors, there is victory. 14, 12, Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Why? Because it's not the way of Scripture. And they avoid and avert the use of Scripture. 15.22, Proverbs 15.22. Without consultation, plans are frustrated. But with many counselors, they succeed. And 28, 28 verse 1. The wicked flee when no one is pursuing. But the righteous are bold as a lion. They are wicked, and they run away when nobody is chasing them. So why are you afraid of us? And if you were righteous, you would have boldness to come and approach us and ask for our advice on the matter. Number six, they shun us. Yes, they shun us and accuse us of shunning them because they're liars. Yes, they are the ones who separate from us and want nothing to do with us unless we want to continue play dates with the kids and vacations and talking about politics, sports, baking cookies, cooking recipes, and dogs. If we'll continue talking about those subjects, they'll still be our friends. They don't even want to go on vacations with us. Really? Proverbs 18, 1 to 2. Proverbs 18, 1 to 2. He who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. In verse 1, 18, 1, he separates. We're not saying go away. He separates himself. And when he does, he's seeking his own desire, not the desire of God through the word of God. And if he didn't know, he would seek counsel from us to know. And he's quarreling against all sound wisdom, the sound wisdom of Scripture. And then when they do tell us about it, what do they usually want to do? If we have an hour or two or five hours, they are doing 90 to 99% of the talking if they get their way. Over the years, we've learned not to let them do that because we were wrong in the past. There I said it publicly. We were wrong to give them so much opportunity. But now we don't do that anymore. And then when we don't do it, they'll say, you're not listening. What do you mean? You didn't say anything. And we're trying to refute what you did say because it's wrong. You got the date wrong, you got the name wrong, you got the place wrong, you got the words wrong, you got everything wrong about the incident, 
and we're trying to correct you because if you had the correct information, then you wouldn't have to, any accusation against us. You're acting based on false knowledge of reality and scripture. They shun us. Second, uh, first John chapter two, first John chapter two, verse 19. First John 2, 19. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be shown that they all are not of us. Who is the apostle accusing here? He's not accusing the church. He's not saying, you stiff-armed them. You were impolite to them. You were rude and crude to them. You didn't love them. You were ungracious to them. He's not accusing the church. He's accusing them and saying, they went out. They were not really of us. If they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out in order that it might be shown that they all are not of us. He's accusing the people separating, not the people remaining who are left to pick up all of the broken pieces of glass and debris from the conflict. They shun us. But constantly they're saying, we love to make enemies and separate from people. No, we don't. That is a perverse lie from Satan. Number seven, being malcontents with a guilty conscience, they persuade others to leave too. At least they try. Yes, they try to persuade others to leave too. You know that Joab, after last night's meeting or during last night's meeting, he contacted uh, one member of this church, Catherine McDougall. Catherine had been replying to um, his messages on Facebook. He's attacking us while the meeting is going on. And she replied to at least one message with an emoji or something. And so he contacts her privately. Now, Joab is a married man with children. And Nathan and Catherine, husband and wife, Catherine is married. But instead of publicly just leaving it public, he contacted her privately, called private messaging, private message in Facebook, and contacted her directly and privately. Everybody should be appalled by that. Why is this happening? This is a pastor also. Why is he doing that? He should never be in touch with any woman like that. It should always be with the husband. Even if it's in a text, whether it's email or a personal meeting, it should be with the husband. And he didn't do it. He could have done it with the husband. But he didn't do it. He could have just contacted the husband. But he contacted the wife. That's the kind of rascal he is. A dangerous rascal who seeks to undermine marriages, families, churches, friendships, by persuading others to leave too. And we've got many examples of it. This is just one illustration that happened last night. Remember, Elymas the magician sought in Acts 13.8, but Elymas the magician, for thus his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, verse 30 says, 
that these wolves will enter in, savage wolves will enter in, to draw away the disciples after them. Remember also, Galatians 2.4, these false brethren secretly were brought in to spy out our liberty in Christ. This is the way they do it. They go and find those that they can pick off in the church and attempt to take them away from the church. Number eight, point number eight. They find churches that tickle their ears. In fact, they join the very churches that once bore the brunt of their mockery. They become friends with their old enemies. They go to the churches that will tickle their ears and make friends, and even make friends with their old enemies. Isaiah chapter 30, Isaiah 30, 9 to 11. For this is a rebellious people, false sons, sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, you must not see visions, and to the prophets, you must not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us pleasant words. Prophesy illusions. Get out of the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Look at that. They were accusing Isaiah the prophet of being a legalist. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. They want to hear pleasant words, even allusions. Yes, I have heard with my own ears that there are people who want to hear lies. They don't care if it's true. They'll say, the lies because the lies make me feel good. I just want to feel good. I just want to be happy. And they, they'll even use the word lies. The lies don't matter. I want to hear lies because the lies make me feel happy, make me feel good. There are a few who will say it openly or explicitly, but others, when they go to these churches, by their actions, they are showing that's who they are. Luke 23, 12. Luke 23, 12. Now Herod and Pilate became friends with one another that very day. For before, they had been at enmity with each other. Herod and Pilate became friends that very day. Why? Because they had a joint enemy, Jesus Christ. So they became friends, even though in the past they were enemies. They were at enmity with each other. And 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 5. 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. That's chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. This is what 
they will do. They want to find those teachers who will teach them myths, things that are untrue, pleasant words, illusions, lies, and turn away from the truth. Number nine, number nine. They continue their friendships within the church after their departure, thereby undermining marriages, families, and friendships. They continue to have relationships with those in the church in order to undermine marriages, families, friendships, and the local church. They do it. Yes, they do. If we advise otherwise, we are evil. We are, we are mean and evil men, gossips and slanderers. If we say you shouldn't be doing that, well, does the Bible say we shouldn't be doing that? Yes, it does say so. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 to 13. 1 Corinthians 5, 9. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world, or with the covetous and swindlers, or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother. If he should be an immoral person, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. James 4.4, you adulteresses, do you not know? That friendship with the world is hostility toward God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 1 John chapter 2, 15 to 17. Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. Now, one might say, well, he's talking about the values and the culture, the things that people do in the world. But he's also talking about the people who are worldly people. He says, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. Do not love worldly people and the things in the world. Do not love them but do the will of God, and therefore abide forever. We know, 1 John 2, 19, that they are not of us. We also note from 1 John 4, 6, we are from God, he who knows God listens to us, he who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So why continue friendships with so-called brothers who are living in the spirit of error. Because you will jeopardize marriages, families, friendships. Number 10. Number 10. 
Women are more often the instigators, but their husbands and fathers the spokesmen. The husbands and the fathers are their spokesmen. They are their doormats. The husbands and the fathers are treated like doormats by these women. This I have dubbed as Adamism and Eveism. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, in the first sin in Genesis 3. Adam, he's keeping quiet, and he's letting Eve take control. He's letting Eve take control of the situation when he should be taking control of the situation based on the truth. One man said, it was really his wife and daughter, not him, but they all left. Wife, daughter, and son. Um, quote, I had to console my wife and daughter after your sermons to assure them that they are good ladies. I had to, that means that after the Sunday sermon, when they went home, they were bickering and carping against me in the hearing of the husband and father. And he couldn't take it anymore. After about two and a half years, he couldn't take it anymore. So he decides he's going to have peace in the marriage and family, so he's going to just leave the church. But who was instigating that? His wife and daughter. And there are many examples. We're not saying it's always women, but we are saying that more often, don't be surprised, it is the women in the household causing the contention and forcing the man, or sometimes the man willingly wants to do it, but needs an occasion to do it, so he does it. First Timothy, First Timothy chapter four, verse seven. First Timothy four seven. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. 1 Timothy 5:11 to 15. 1 Timothy 5:11. But refuse to put younger widows on the list, for when they feel sensual desires in disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. And at the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house, and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. Do you think the followers of Satan go to heaven or hell? So this is a serious sin. Talk about having a proper definition of sin and heresy. Here we have one example. People think, no, no, it's okay. W women like to talk. It's okay. It's just their nature. It's okay. Don't correct them. Don't stop them. Don't put a curb on it. Don't call them to repent. If you do, you're evil. You're mean. You're making them into doormats. No. No, these women are making their men doormats when they won't submit to the holy, righteous word of God. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 2 Timothy 
3. We read 2 Timothy 3, 1. Let's read 1 to 9. 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 9. But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, and avoid such as these. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men of depraved mind, rejected as regards the faith. But they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all as also that of those two came to be. Yes, the more they belch forth, the more they puke, the more they expose themselves, their folly will become obvious to all. And how do they approach it? They enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses. They look to grab a hold of the women. That shouldn't be a surprise. Even the world knows that. That's the way the commercials are. They aren't the majority of commercials geared to the women to entice them to go into the store or to go to the website to buy the product? Isn't that the way it works? Everybody knows it. It's obvious. And so do not, Paul haters, Paul haters should not say, Paul was just a misogynist. Why is he picking on women? No, it's the reality, and the world knows it. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows it if they're they're going to be honest about it. And number 11. This is the last point on this topic. We display great patience with their sinful behavior. And like I said, sometimes we were overly patient because we didn't confront it soon enough. We display great patience with their sinful behavior, but they are impatient and very severe toward us. Impatient and very severe toward us. Um, Let me take you to Numbers. Numbers 16, Numbers 16, and verse 15. This is Korah's confrontation of Moses. Korah, a wicked man. 16.15, Moses says the following. 16.15, Then Moses became very angry and said to the Lord, Do not regard their offering. I have not taken a single donkey from them, nor have I done harm to any of them. And Moses' prayer was answered because Korah, 250 men, women and children, were instantly destroyed in an earthquake that swallowed them up alive. They died alive, meaning they were alive and suddenly the earth destroyed them. This prayer was answered because Moses is telling the truth. Just like Nehemiah, in the book of Nehemiah, he repeatedly says, Lord, answer me. You know 
you know my righteousness. You know, and he says, do not blot out their transgressions, but answer my prayer. 16.15, Moses is righteous. The people are wicked. And he's very angry in this righteous prayer. He is very angry, which is righteous indignation, very angry in this righteous prayer because they were actually against him. Wrongfully so, even though he had put up with them, was very patient with them for a long, long time. Forty years in the wilderness. Forty years. 1 Samuel 26. This is the way David was against Saul. King David, before he was king, against Saul when he was king. 1 Samuel chapter 26, verses 18 and 19. Let's read 17 to 20. 1 Samuel 26, 17. Then Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is this your voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my lord the king. He also said, Why then is my lord pursuing his servant? For what have I done? Or what evil is in my hand? Now therefore, please, let my lord the king listen to the words of his servant. If the lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is men, cursed are they before the Lord, for they have driven me out today that I should have no attachment with the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go, serve other gods. Now then, do not let my blood fall to the ground away from the presence of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to search for a single flea, just as one hunts for a partridge in the mountains. David is declaring his innocence, and he's been putting up with Saul Malicious Saul, violent Saul, since chapter 18. 18 and until he dies in 31. And he's saying, why are you doing this against me? What have I done to you? I haven't done anything to you all this while. And you're, you're pursuing me as though you're looking for a single flea. Nitpickers. Fault finders, grumblers, that's what they are. Chasing after a single flea. Who are Jerry Jackson and me? Who are we? Who are we? We are a single flea in this world. Why don't they go pick on a bigger, a bigger, uh, what? A bigger cockroach. <laughs> Why don't they go, yeah, find a cockroach. Well, why are you looking for a single flea? We are obscure men in this world. Especially Jerry Jackson, living in Oklahoma, living in a small town, and he, he was never a professor in academia or something like that. So he, he is more obscure than I am, but there's, he's still being badgered left and right by the enemies of God and Christ. 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 1. 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 to 12. This is how we seek to live among the people of God. 1 Thessalonians 2. And you say whether you have seen this in us or not. You decide, you discern. Judge for yourselves if this is true or not. And judge for yourselves if other pastors that you have known, 
or do know do any of this? Judge for yourselves. Verse 1, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority, but we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved toward you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. I submit to you that I have not seen it elsewhere. This kind of devotion to the souls of the people of the local church. I don't see it. It's not commonly practiced. And I guarantee you that has been your own experience. And I guarantee you our enemies, our current enemies, they don't do that. They do not invest time, hours, devotion to Submit the word of God to the people, publicly and privately. They don't do it, and you know it. Let me conclude with these comments. They are hypocrites. They are hypocrites, and hypocrites go to hell. Matthew 23. I answered questions publicly and privately countless times. You know it countless times publicly and privately on Arminianism, which is also free willism, predestination, imprecatory prayers, repentance for the forgiveness of sins, the gospel of Christ in the Old Testament, popular preachers. You know that that has been going on. All while I observe their sour faces and caustic tones. I've been before audiences for a long time since I started to teach and preach. Many audiences. And I can tell who is attentive, who is interested, and who is sitting there as a divisive fault finder, as a nitpicker. I can see the look on the faces. I saw it in the look on, on the faces of students, and I see it in the face of church attenders. I can tell. It's not hard to figure it out. And sooner or later, that sour face will expose himself. Sooner or later, it will be exposed. Meantime, I've learned, which is one thing I didn't do initially uh, when I was first married, I learned 
to tell my wife. And now I also tell Pastor Jerry Jackson. When I see something, I immediately tell my wife and Jerry Jackson. Why? Because I want witnesses to know what I saw and to be observant. And then when the conflict arises, they're not alarmed. They're not shocked. They are prepared. And they themselves, meantime, are going to see the same things. They will see it, and it will be obvious to all about the folly of these people. In fact, this patience, I'm illustrating patience. One man repented to me privately a couple of days after he asked a public question on imprecations in a men's Bible study. And when he did, it was practically the hundredth time because he had asked publicly and privately many, many times since 2014. And I think this happened in 2020 or 2021. So he had about six or seven years of dialogue in Bible studies, not only men's Bible study, but weekly Bible studies when we lived in Oklahoma, and then in sermons. We even held a conference. He was at that conference on imprecations, prayers for justice. He was there, and he asked me again. And so what did I do during the Q&A of men's Bible study? I think I spent about 45 minutes answering his question. And he was seated there at the front, and I could tell he was annoyed and irritated, but I kept calm. I answered his question patiently. Like I said, it might have been the hundredth time. That was it. Then I contacted him to ask him about something a couple of days later and told him it was good to see him at Bible study. And then that prompted him to apologize to me. He said, Ish, all these years, the many times I've asked you the same question, you have always been patient with me. And you were very patient with me that Saturday at men's Bible study, which was just a couple of days before. You were very patient with me, and I had to repent to the Lord, and I'm asking you to forgive me. I should not have done it. I should have just believed what the Bible said. Now I am. I understand what you're saying. And it's not you, it was me. He's saying words like that in his apology. So I forgave him. Just, that's just one example of patience with people who sit there with a sour, irritated, caustic look on their faces. And then when they ask the question, you can tell. You can't see their faces most often, you who are seated, but you can tell from their voice and the words they choose, which is usually, you said, why did you say? Why do you think? Why do you believe? They say it that way, that's the introduction to their question. Then I know, okay, trouble's on the way. It's a confirmation. Um, okay, we'll stop there. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says.